So this is a this is a big day. It's the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, lots goes on. Jesus' response is amazing to the disciples. And I'm going to start at John 12, 20, when the Gentiles are coming to him as, as a, a group of Greeks approach Jesus. And um, I'm going to start the, the discussion there. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So just hold that in your mind. And then I also want to take you to the dinner the last night. Um, this is the Message Bible. That was the NIV. And I want to read to you <clears throat> John 13. And this is verses 21. So in the meal at a certain time, he turns to them and he says, I'm telling you all of this ahead of time. So that when it happens, you may believe that I am who I say that I am. Make sure you get this right. Receiving someone I send is the same as receiving me. And receiving me is the same as receiving the one who sent me. After he said these things, Jesus became visibly upset. And he told them why. One of you is going to betray me. So I just want to use those in addition with some of these other passages to build up the fact that he's the Messiah and he's God, but what he's facing and what he's enduring, bef you know, as he prepares his soul to go to the cross is, it's not a little thing. And I want you to kind of sense the depth of it a little bit. So now I'm going to read you Matthew 26, 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane and said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. When he returned to the disciples, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And in uh, Mark 14, it says, When he came back, this is 1437, When he came back again, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. And then I'm going to read you one last passage, and I just want you to mull over like the intensity of what's happening here with Jesus. And um, this one's Luke 
this one says, um, right after he says, uh, Father, if you're willing to take this cup, it says, then an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Wow. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, his sweat like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer, he went back to the disciples. So I want you to take a moment and I want you to talk about the intensity of what's happening with Jesus, how he's having to steal his soul as he's approaching this moment. I mean, from the Greeks on forward and you know, Hebrews says Jesus was tempted in every way like we are. Uh, and you remember from John 4 with the woman at the well, you know, he goes to the well because he's tired. And so I want you just to dial into the intensity, the emotional strain, the physical strain, the mental strain of, of what he's preparing himself. And then, um, and then we'll look at what the disciples are doing. So first thing, dial that in, hit pause, talk to yourself a little bit or your group about, you know, all the stress Jesus is under and then come back. Okay, I think that it's it's so important just to lay the, the, the setting so that we can really understand Jesus' response to the disciples. You know, the, the Greeks are approaching him, the Gentiles, right? The whole thing's about to open up. We know soon after he's resurrected that they uh, he, uh, Peter has a heavenly vision in Acts 10 telling him through this sheet and all these animals in this sheet that um, it's time to go to the Gentiles and you know, Peter's not embracing that so easy. But regardless, the Greeks are coming and it's almost like he's musing in his soul and also instructing his disciples, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides, abides alone. And as you read that passage, you realize he's processing what he's going to do. He is gonna die, but he has to trust the Father, just like we have to trust God, that the plan's gonna work and if he dies, he really produces many seeds and he gets many people saved into the kingdom and into his eternal family in the resurrection, right? So he's really processing this whole thing. It's not just like, oh, I decided I'm gonna go to the cross, great, I'm gonna take care of the sins of the world. He had to really prepare and steal his soul. I think you get a little window of it in at that point. And then this other passage I, I I read you about predicting Judas, Judas's betrayal. Um, after he said this thing, Jesus became visibly upset. Wow, what does it take for the Son of Man to become visibly upset? But he is, and he, and he tells them, I just want you to know this so that you know that I am the one I claim to be, right? Which is way more than a teacher or prophet. He's claiming to be God in human flesh as he's forgiving sins and claiming to be the one that's brought all the wise men and prophets into the world. And there's a dozens and dozens of different ways that he, he clues people into his identity. And here he's doing it again. He goes, before it happens, I want you to know that I am the, I want you it to, I want it to shape your faith and confidence in me. Even when you feel like everything's going to pieces, someone's going to betray me. It's going to shock you that it's Judas. You can't imagine who it is yet but it's gonna happen and when it does, as uh, terrifying as it is that this happened, I want you to know I knew. But he's visibly upset and then we're reading this whole passage uh, uh, 
Gethsemane, which is got so much heart and soul in it, you know, number one, he wants his disciples to be with them, right? So he takes all the disciples, but then he takes James and John along close with him. He's like, keep watch with me. Part of it is he's wanting them to be with him. And if you'll remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, you know, even Moses and Elijah are dialoguing with him about his uh, departure is what they call it in, in um, might be Luke, but then the Message Bible calls it his exodus, uh, like out of Egypt, right? Deliverance from sin into the promised land, which is the resurrection and, and taking everybody's sins with him. And so even there, Moses and Elijah are processing with him what, what's going to happen. And in this passage in Matthew 26 in Gethsemane, He's saying, keep watch with me. There's part of this thing where he wants them with him because, you know, he's doing it all for us, for people, for Peter, James, and John. They don't understand it, but I think there's part of him, and I, I know I'm guessing, but that he wants them close. It's also really telling to me that he spends the several days before he gets to the temple um, and and that week that he's in Jerusalem before he gets gets killed with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So I think he wants to be around those closest to him, including his disciples. Well, he starts praying in Gethsemane and he's praying things and he's saying, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Like, what is sorrow all about? Like, I don't, I don't even know, but I mean, at least highlight the fact that it's so overwhelming. I mean, he's overwhelmed. How, how I mean, how does the matchless son of God who can confront all the Pharisees, Sadducees, the whole leadership, the Sanhedrin, the teachers of the law, become overwhelmed by what's happening here. It gives us a clue as to the magnitude of what's happening. And then, you know, he can change water to wine. He can call fish into Peter's net. He can calm the storm and walk on. He has absolute control over nature. And yet, his soul is overwhelmed with, overwhelmed with sorrow. So it just tells you, it's not just the physical torture of the cross that, that he's preparing himself, it's also supernaturally, however he bears the sins of the whole human race, past, present, and future, on his soul as God punishes him for our sins instead of us. And it's, it's overwhelming. Like he takes the bullet that really rightfully was was for us, right? We did the crime, but he's gonna take the bullet, bullet because he loves us. So, unpacking how overwhelming this is for Jesus is huge to understand this passage and where we're gonna go with this. And so, I want you to, oh, oh yeah, and then in the Luke 22 passage, of course, it says that an angel shows up to strengthen him. Just super, you know, supernatural, incredible angel. And what does it do to strengthen him? Uh, what does it do to Jesus? It says he then, being strengthened, prays because he's in anguish all the more intensely. Like it just ups the battle, right? He gives him strength to labor in prayer even more intensely. And I don't even know how you can wrestle more intensely than he was, but he did. Okay, so now look back at the passage uh, in Matthew and talk about what what are the disciples doing and how does Jesus respond and come back? 
So, you know, there's this twofold thing that appears to be going on. One, he's saying, I want you with me. And then secondly, he's saying, watch and pray that you may not be tempted, right? And again, my guess, the temptation is to run in fear. And the scripture said they'd be scattered. And Jesus prophesied that, Peter, you'll deny me. We also forget he also prophesied, Peter, you'll turn back, right? So hold the negative prophecy and the positives together. Peter will turn back. But in prophesying that Peter's going to be scattered and deny him, you have to, I think we have to realize there's levels of denial. There's levels of, of fulfilling that word. And I think he's saying, watch and pray that it wouldn't be as rugged for you in terms of guilt and condemnation and shame and failure than it, ha than it has to be. Let's make it as minimal as possible. And yet, what do the disciples do? They fall asleep. And it's understandable from the Luke 22 passage because it says their, their eyes were heavy. Uh, they were I'm sorry, they were exhausted from sorrow, right? Him telling them, you've been with me three and a half years, I've led this whole thing, but I'm going to be taken away. And, and they're not understanding all of it and why it's going to happen, but the grief's hitting them already. And you know, when you're in the middle of grief, you can be exhausted. So they fall asleep. And so we got to process these statements here relative to how Jesus is interacting with them. Um, and he says, could you men, could, couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? And then he says, watch and pray so you'll fa not fall into temptation. And then he says, the spirit's willing and the flesh is weak. As we work through these, these series, I hope we can arrive at this place where, you know, we've got enough of the negative kind of the devil's motivation out of our minds. We really can look at this passage clearly and realize, number one, he's not coming in just accusing them and trying to tear them down, right? He's always trying to build them up. Number two, he's not condemning them, right? And just saying, and just throwing them aside. That is so important to realize that. And number three, he's not rejecting them. They're still his disciples. He's told Peter, you know, you're going to deny me, but you're going to come through, right? So we know he's not rejecting them. Oh, just getting that out of our image of God so we can look at this passage and see what's going on. So critical. And then lastly, he's not shaming them. Would to God that every leader, every parent of every household, every Hollywood, uh, um, you know, like kind of coach or life coach or, or in coaching of, of people in sports would get rid of these tactics and get rid of shaming and that kind of things to motivate people. So if he's not doing that, what is he doing? Well, I love this one statement here. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Right there. Jesus is encouraging them, I know your spirit's willing. And then he crosses over into instruction to really, into challenge to say, but you've got a battle. Your flesh is weak. You're going to have to steal yourself in your spirit. You're going to have to pray and you're going to have to battle against your flesh if you want to come through this thing as, in the best possible way. So I love the encouragement because you just love to see that anywhere. And then there's the instruction and the challenge. But again, no condemnation, no shame, no, no rejection. And then these, couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? You know, I think there's a, a longing there 
of Jesus, like, I, I'm, I'm doing this for you, I'm doing it for everybody, but you're my closest friends, and, and him wanting them to be there, and clearly there's also challenge. You might be able to also walk, you know, work in there, some correction without rejection. Again, with re without rejection, but some correction, right? Stay with me. You got another chance. I came back this first time. And then he says, watch and pray so that you'll not fall into temptation, right? Again, there's, there's instruction in that. There's challenge in that. And you could still read in some correction, right? Go after this. I've come back. You got another chance. And of course, they fall asleep. And, it, and it's tough because they're failing Jesus right in a moment where he wants them with him, but they're also failing in terms of protecting themselves and really warring in the spirit here, right? So he comes back a second time, finds them sleeping, and then finally goes off again. And then a third time he comes back and he says, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hours come, the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. You know, again, he's just saying, this is what's happening. You know what? I'm sorry to say you guys haven't been able to just press through, but now's the time and the betrayal's happening. And again, I don't, I don't read condemnation, shame, or rejection. And we know he doesn't reject them. So once you get that out, you can start looking at one of the other incredible things he does in terms of uh, his response to them. You think of the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, patience, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness or humility and then here's the last one right self-control think about the way we opened up what's happening in gethsemane the greeks he's musing about a kernel of wheat needs to die if it's gonna create all these other seeds in life i'm gonna have to die to create this family uh for the resurrection forever right he's musing in his own soul. He's been processing with Elijah and Moses on the Mount of Transfiguration. Gethsemane, I mean, he's overwhelmed with sorrow, the point of death. The angel strengthens him and he anguishes in prayer uh, and prays all the more intensely. And isn't it amazing that when the disciples fail him in the moment of being there for him and also pressing on, you know, in their own growth and whatnot, that he does not melt down. I mean, oh my gosh, friends. I can I can get a little pressure on my life at work or, you know, struggles in life or in relationships and then one of my dear children whom I love does something or talks back to me and I'm like, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe there's no, you know, no respect in this house." And 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 I can just I can lose it. I can have a meltdown. Um and it's so helpful for me to have more than just principles from say the epistles. I mean, Paul's got great theology and he's got great things to be say about being self-controlled and doing what's right. But you know, I'm simple enough person where I need to see it in Jesus and it makes it go deeper. Now, I think all of the things that they're talking about in the epistles are great and we can use them. And um, all of those principles, those that's great theology. We want the, the best, clearest possible theology. We want to live it. But seeing it in Jesus drives it deeper for me. And I think that's probably the same for most people. So right here, the pressure's off the scale of anything I can imagine. I crumble 
under much smaller things. And yet Jesus does not attack them in the midst of his pressure. He doesn't uh, condemn them. He doesn't reject them. And he doesn't shame them. And I'm longing to grow, to become like him. But that I can see it in Jesus. I can pray. I'm like, God, your son is so amazing. I'm like, Jesus, you're so incredible. Like, and I'm doing the worship without music section thing already. Um, all this pressure's on you. The disciples can't be there for you, but you're doing it for them and for everybody else. And yet you do not fall to the level of accusation, condemnation, shame. And, and you encourage them, hey, your, your spirit's willing, but you got to fight against your flesh, right? And, 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 he, and you just do the instruction thing with them once again. And then you also challenge and you even correct, but without rejection. Like, oh, master, you are amazing. You're amazing. I want to follow in your footsteps. I want to be like you and you're going to have to help me. But I'm longing to be like you and, because I want to be blessed, right? Which means I want to treat myself without condemnation, shame, accusation. Because is that going to help me overcome sin? No, right? But if I treat myself the way Jesus does, that's going to strengthen me to become a better man, more like Jesus. And then I want, I want my family to be blessed, right? I want to be a man of greater self-control. I mean, you know, nobody wants self-control as kind of, the, you know, one of those jokes that, that ah, I don't want, you know, I don't want that gift, but we really do. Self-control is this stunning diamond that um, really protects all of your relationships. And again, how you relate to yourself, it protects your business and uh, the money that you make so you're not fired you know, prematurely or hopefully ever. And there's just protection in the whole thing. And there's blessing in the whole thing because if we're walking in Jesus style self-control, you just think how much uh, better your, your relationships are gonna be, how much more trust you're gonna build with your wife and your children, how much more trust you're gonna build at work, how much more your boss is gonna say, no, I, I gotta get rid of you know certain people in this whole COVID thing, but I'm keeping you because you're steady. And um, so anyway, my point is, there's not only protection, but there's also prosperity in doing the things Jesus does and doing the things Jesus says. So I gave you the worship without music thing up front, just delighting in his response when he's under this kind of pressure for the disciples failing him. And uh, the takeaway, you know, the verse here that we've got in this one is John 12, 45. It's one of these five or six foundational verses. Jesus says, the one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. So Jesus's encouragement reveals the Father's encouragement, right? Jesus's patience and self-control reveals the Father actually is patient and self-controlled. That's beautiful. Think of the eternal consequences and rewards, the good consequences of God being patient and self-controlled, right? Forgiving and showing mercy and bringing millions and millions of souls into the kingdom. Uh, it's, it's awesome. And then Jesus's challenge and correction without rejection reveals the Father's challenge and correction without rejection. So there you go, day 13, there's just a ton going on in there. Jesus really feels it all, and yet 
he really takes care of the disciples, doesn't tear them down, builds them up. So that's just, it's a good thing.